When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's position group preview time. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. Stephen and Nathan along in a moment. Uh, so these are pre-recorded. We did a linebacker one like really long ago, and then we stopped doing position group previews because, frankly, we had so many other things to talk about. But we're getting back into them. So today is the offensive line. This is your Tuesday podcast offensive line preview. We have the format, the way we break it down, who was on last year's team, who's or who's returning the recruits um, better this year. Or last year, better this year or next year. The strengths, the weaknesses, the crazy prediction. It's a good like 55 minutes of talk all about the Ohio State offensive line. So we're going to start dropping these in because we're going to keep previewing this season like there's a season coming. And we don't know what's going to happen, but it's fun to talk football. So we're going to keep doing that. And again, we recorded these last week, so they're not old. But what I'm going to try to do is we get texture questions sometimes that are sort of more history related and i just no offense to steven and nathan there's just not a lot of point to me of like trying to involve them in discussions about hey compare this team and that team when they weren't here covering them and i was or hey what did you think of the best play you know it's just i'm old and i've i'm a relic and i've been here forever and steven is young and nathan was somewhere else so what I'm going to try to do is at the beginning of these position group podcasts is maybe give myself one rapid fire that I haven't worked in in previous rapid fire podcasts. And for instance, Wednesday this week, the big Wednesday podcast is tw- is 20 rapid fire questions. But I'll work in sort of a history p- uh, question that just doesn't make as much sense for them to talk about. And what's the point of them sitting and listening to me talk any more than they already do? So I'll try to drop these in, and we're going to get one here real quick, and then we're going to get into that offensive line preview. But I thought this was a great question from the 419, so I didn't want to ignore it. Let's say you just arrived from a place called the Dome. Intimidating. It's like a Stephen King thing. I just got here from the Dome. Hey, guys. I'm Doug from the Dome. And you have no recollection of college football seasons. If you were to look at our 2014 and 19 teams on paper – what do you think the point spread would be and why? Oh, so good. So here's what I did. Quick. I didn't spend a ton of time on this, but I did a little work before I got on the mic here in my guest bedroom. 
I did a 20, the, the 22 starters, no special teams, but the 22 starters. I did a quick breakdown. I gave nine to the 14 team, eight to the 19 team, and five ties. So that's how close they were. By position groups, I only said the 19 team had two edges by position group. I'll give you five seconds to think about them. One, two, three, four, five. And if you want a greater explanation on this, maybe I'll drop a greater explanation on this to our tech subscribers. Because this might be a good tech subscriber debate. See what uh, the tech subscribers think. If you want to get that, if you want to be part of that, 614-350-3315, 14-day free trial, why not try it? Three ninety nine a month after that. I gave quarterback and the secondary to 2019. I gave running back, receivers, defensive line, and linebackers to 2014, and I called offensive line a tie. So I'm going to settle on a neutral field, and the way that I thought about this was both teams going into the playoff. So that means Cardale Jones just dropped the 59-0 win on Wisconsin. That means Justin Fields is hobbled. He's not 100% Justin Fields because I think it's too hard to try to compare them during the regular season because the 2019 team was blowing people out for 10 straight games before they got tested. The 2014 team has JT Barrett come in. They have the bad loss to Virginia Tech. They're trying all year to overcome that. They get much better as the season goes on. It's, it's too hard to try to say, well, what are you – so I made a hard – this is like they're playing a semifinal against each other. So I double-checked, and sometimes I think it's hard to get this exactly right, but I looked at what the betting lines were for their two semifinals. The 14 team was about a nine-point underdog to Bama. 2019 team was about a 2.5 underdog point underdog to Clemson. And the other hard part of this is we didn't realize how good the 14 team was until it was over. And I think we had a greater understanding of how good the 2019 team was while it was happening. So the 2019 team, I think a lot of Ohio State fans, even though those Buckeyes were technically underdogs to Clemson, I think a lot of Ohio State fans were very confident and thought Ohio State was going to win. I was telling you to be confident. Don't be afraid of Clemson. Ohio State's as good as Clemson. They were as good as Clemson. They were probably better than Clemson, but they lost. Most people... I think among Ohio State fans and around the country weren't picking Ohio State in 2014. But then when you look back, and Blake Sims wasn't a great quarterback. They had Amari Cooper. Derrick Henry was still on the come up a little bit. I mean, it's like they were good, but that was not an absolutely dominating Alabama team. I think that Alabama team was not quite as good as we thought, and the Ohio State team was much better than we thought. So it's hard because I think in the end, you thought the 2019 was super good. 2019 was great the whole way, and then they lost. 2014, you didn't realize how good they were, then they won. So now how do you compare them? So I'm trying to be as honest with this. Let's think about them as they were, with the knowledge we have now, but as they were entering a playoff semifinal. So it's hobbled fields. It's Cardale starting instead of JT. But I would make the 2014 team like a 2.5 point favorite, which is the same that Clemson was over Ohio State. I just think Zeke is just a half step above J.K. Dobbins at running back. I would take Devin Smith, Evan Spencer, and Michael Thomas ahead of Chris Olave, K.J. Hill, and then Ben Victor, Austin Mack. I just would. I think Joey Bosa and Chase Young basically cancel each other out. Maybe you give a slight edge to Chase, but boy, is Joey Bosa awesome. 
basically cancel each other out. I like the tackles in 14 a little better. As good as Davon Hamilton was, I think I'd take Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett was really good that year. I'd take Michael Bennett and Adolphus Washington over Jay Sean Cornell, Robert Landers, and Davon Hamilton. The linebackers are pretty close. I gave Lee a slight edge over Malik Harrison. I think I'd take Raquan McMillan and Curtis Grant, that rotation at middle linebacker ahead of Tough Borland. I think Joshua Perry and, and Pete Warner are similar in that they're underrated linebackers, but Perry, I think, is a little more productive. I'd give Perry an edge. I would give this 19 secondary an edge. I think Okuda, Arnett, Sean Wade, that's better than what the 14 secondary was putting out. But I just like the receivers, Zeke, Offensive line is close. Defensive line across the board. Um, but it's close. Less than a field goal on a neutral field. So maybe we'll discuss this more with our tech subscribers and see what they think. But that's what my point spread would be. I've actually figured out how to do surveys now for the tech subscribers. I could put out a survey to the tech subscribers. What would your point spread be? You know, less than three points for 14, less than three points for 19. Pick them. Three and a half to seven. Maybe I'll do that. You know, come join us. But for now, let's get down to this. Me, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, our offensive line position group preview. Again, we've done linebackers. This is offensive line. Outside receivers will be on Friday. The rest of this week, Wednesday, rapid fire. Thursday, Maryland preview. Friday, outside receivers. We appreciate you guys listening and making Buckeye Talk part of your life five days a week. So here we go. Let's get into the Ohio State Buckeyes offensive line for 2020. All right, previewing Ohio State's offensive line here on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Steven, and Nathan, let's go through what they've got. Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Three returning starters uh, on the offensive line for Ohio State this coming season. We know they have uh, Thayer Munford coming back as a third-year starter at left tackle. Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, second-year starters. Wyatt Davis at right guard, and um, Josh Myers at center. And then we have uh, position, position group battles, right? We got a, a battle at right tackle with Paris Johnson, Nicholas petit Frere. We have a battle um, at left guard, but I think we all think Harry Miller is going to win it. But here's the rest of the guys that are in this offensive line group at a second. So two seniors on the Ohio State offensive line, Gavin Cup, who is in that left guard battle. He's a redshirt senior, fifth-year guy, Thayer Munford. True fourth-year senior starting left tackle. Two juniors, Wyatt Davis, All-American, redshirt junior, Josh Myers, um, potential All-American, redshirt junior. Bunch of sophomores. You got Matthew Jones as a redshirt sophomore. He's in the battle uh, at left guard. Nicholas Petit-Frere battling Paris Johnson at right tackle. Then you got Max Ray, who hasn't played much. Uh, Dewan Jones, who hasn't played much. And Harry Miller as a true sophomore who's expected to be the starting left guard. Then you got a bunch of freshmen. You got red shirts, Ryan Jacoby, Enoch Pumahi. Uh, and then you got this big group of true freshmen, the big recruiting class um, that Greg Studrawa put together. Paris Johnson, Luke Whippler, Grant Tutant, Jacob Pryor, Jacob James, and Trey LaRue. Um, pretty good, right? Just like, well, we're going to get into all the categories and stuff, but Nathan, like some good options in there, some depth too, right? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, I, th I think Greg Strudauer's job ha has been um, a little overlooked as far as uh, what he's done replenishing the room. I know that, you know, before I got here, there was that couple-year stretch where they had some issues. But really across the board, um, even though there are some positions where we don't know yet exactly who will get the starting job, I, I think there's confidence that Ohio State has real options to have 
strong offensive lineman at all of those spots. This is a matter of who ends up emerging. And again, they went so heavy in offensive line in the last recruiting class. Steven, um, how heavy do they need to go in this 2021 recruiting class that they're putting together? So, I mean, they, they really, they went bonkers in, in, in the previous class. Yeah, they did. They've obviously only got two guys, two interior linemen with Ben Chrisman being reclassed as an offensive guard instead of an offensive tackle at this point, along with Donovan Jackson, the number one guard in the country's five-star guy. Maybe they add another as a, just to add a tackle. Now they lost out of J.C. Latham. Obviously, Tristan Lay is out there, out, out of Virginia, the, a five-star guy there. Just for the sake of having a tackle to go along with these two guards, maybe they add the, another one. But, yeah, they've gone so heavy in 2020 and even a little bit in 2019 that you don't need to necessarily go heavy in 2021 and still have plenty of depth in the next couple of years here. And again, that 2020 class, um, two really highly rated guys on the offensive line and Paris Johnson and Luke Whipler. And then this obvious sort of strategic offensive line recruiting in Ryan Day's first full recruiting class, a bunch of local guys who weren't as highly rated. Jacob James out of Cincinnati. He was the number 849 player in the country. Josh Fryer out of Indiana, number 508 player. Grant Teuton out of Michigan, number 461 player. And then uh, Trey LaRue, not rated out of uh, Ohio, uh, a 355-pound, eight kind of project kid. But that's two Ohio kids, two other Midwest kids, lower rated, wanted to lock them in, did not want to be grasping for straws at the last minute. So I, I think it does take a little bit of pressure off the 2021 recruiting. But as you said, Stephen, that, you know, J.C. Latham, would have been nice, but you know when you get and when you get guys like Luke Whippler and Paris Johnson, and then you have younger guys like Harry Miller. Harry Miller was a top 50 recruit. You just you're starting to stack up um, that you cannot just you don't just see the present of the offensive line where guys like Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers were top 50, top 100 national recruits, and here they are producing. But you can see the future as well. So I think they they are really aligned in how they their recruiting on the on this position is working out and it allows them to not get a guy like jc latham and not have it be the end of the world right i mean steven it it wasn't it wasn't great they thought they were going to get that kid and that's a really highly rated tackle but if if they weren't if they didn't take six guys last year if they didn't have paris johnson then all of a sudden, J.C. Latham is a much bigger deal, right? And that's the deal here. Yes, it's always you lost out on a five-star, and that sucks. But, yeah, because you have a good mixture of guys who are ready to go right now, but also some project guys who are maybe four- or five-year guys in the program, it takes the sting out of when you don't get a five-star, which can happen from time to time. And we've seen the success of some of those longer-range guys. You know that you know Brandon Bowen was a good recruit, but he, you know, he wasn't a top 100 national guy. He turned into a good player for Ohio state. But I mean, if you, I think that's a smart mix that you get some, some guys that you expect to have maybe stick around for five years could provide you some depth. And if it all comes together, they're a good solid starter at the end of their career, maybe in year four, maybe in year five. And you mix that with super high ceiling guys like Paris Johnson and Harry Miller. And I I think that's a mixture for success. And again, they had a, a bump, a couple hiccups in offensive line recruiting for a year or two. I think the mix they are arriving at right now is like a really good long-term mix for them on the offensive line. All right. Will the offensive line in 2020 
be better than it was in 2019. One of the categories we do in our, in our position group breakdowns. Nathan, better in 2020, better in 2019. I'm going 2020. I'm not trying to disrespect the fact that they lost a uh, an NFL draft pick at left guard and a NFL free agent signee at right tackle. Um, obviously, they lost some talent there. But, the, you know, the three returning starters being another year more experienced, um, Thayer Munford potentially being healthier, that's obviously speculative, but potentially being healthier from day one, which I think is, is potentially huge. And then just, again, like I said before, I, I think that the upside for those two spots that they're replacing, I don't know if I expect them – I would expect right tackle to, to potentially be at Brandon Bowen's level in 2020. And left guard, it may be tough to get all the way to Jackson's level, but I think you're pretty confident that Harry Miller or whoever wins that job is going to be capable. And on top of that, he's wedged between a three-year starter at left tackle and one of the best centers in the country. So that, that's a position that maybe I'm not as, as worried about overall. So better in 2020 than, than 2019. Steven, do you agree with that or disagree? I agree, and I think it's because they're going to have to be. Last year, this offensive line was stout, but also they had one of the best running backs in the country who could turn four-yard plays into seven-yard plays the way that you want from a great running back. We're unsure there. And so the holes that they created in 2019 might have to be a little bigger in 2020 until we figure out between Trey Sermon and Master Teague or Marcus Crowley or whoever if they're you know a quality complement to whatever the passing game is. So it's going to be better, but also – they have to be better just because of what they're going to be blocking for. Yeah, I think they could be better at, at all five positions. And that is accounting for the fact that Jonah Jackson was a third round draft pick. I just think Harry Miller might be awesome. And you hope Harry Miller is awesome. Well, I know. I mean, he's a good talker, but I, 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 he feels like he has all the components, right? I mean, I think he, that's why he's a top 50 national recruit. So I just think he's ready and it would make sense to me that he's the kind of guy that was, and we talked about this, you know, what do you want from a five-star recruit? He was second team would have been ready to play in a pinch if there were injuries, but a second team true backup interior offensive lineman as a true freshman. And I think he's absolutely ready to play. And I know all the stuff is everything's hanging over all these position groups about, you know, who's been hurt the most or hurt the least by, the time that has been missed. And yes, we know cohesion matters on the offensive line. I just think Harry Miller could be as good as a third round draft pick like right now. And I think if what Wyatt Davis became by the end of last year, I think Harry Miller could become that by the end of this year, which is an all American caliber player, not right away, but I think he'll be building towards that over the course of the season. And then I think right tackle was probably the weak link last year. You know, I, I rewatched to remind myself on some of this stuff. I rewatched, the offensive line clips from the Michigan State game, which I think was one of the, the more difficult games for the offensive line last year. And then I watched a chunk of the Fiesta Bowl again. And I was rereading the story that you wrote, Nathan, uh, off that Michigan State game, talking to Brandon Bowen. He said it was probably the worst game he played all year, and they had some issues. Josh Allaby started at right tackle in that game because Bowen was hurt mm-hmm. for a bit. Um, and watching that, the right tackle got beat a lot in that game. And – um, Bowen was solid, but Bowen didn't get drafted. And I just think whether it's Paris Johnson or Nicholas Petit Frere, I think that right tackle will be better. And they're higher rated recruits. All three of those guys, I mean, they're based, they're all five-star recruits. You have three five-star recruits that you are penciling in for these two open spots. 
and they're replacing guys who weren't five-star recruits. Now, those guys were veterans by the end, but Jonah Jackson and Brandon Bowen do not have the ceiling that these guys have. Right. And I think they'll all, whoever the right tackle is, and assuming Harry Miller's a left guard, they'll all begin to approach those ceilings in 2020 to the degree that I think there's no doubt that the line will be better in 2020. And Myers and Davis are going to be monsters. And I want to get into a little bit of that later, but they're going to be monsters. And if Thayer Munford is healthy, I just think you now have an offensive line with a lot of ceiling and no weak links. So I think definitely better in 2020, which leads us into the second question, better in 2020 or better in 2021. And Nathan, as we discussed that question, we know Thayer Munford's going to be gone because he's a senior. Do we have to approach that question assuming both Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers will go pro after 2020? That's how I'm approaching it. And that's why I'm voting 2020 over 2021, just because I think you're going to be losing three starters. You're going to be losing at least one guy who is a known All-American, possibly multiple guys at that level. And even though I think there's, I, I think there'll be better 2020 than 21. I don't know that I'm expecting like the floor to fall out for 2021 though. I think you're still going to, again, as I said before, they've, they've done a good job, like keeping the talent coming in this, at this position group. And I think that you're going to, if it regresses, maybe it regresses back to 2019 level or maybe me, I don't roughly that level, which is still obviously pretty good or just a little bit below that. So if we're guessing for 2021 as we discuss this, I mean, you know, who knows? But probably your offensive line looks something in 2021 like sophomore Paris Johnson at left tackle, maybe like redshirt junior Matthew Jones at left guard. Yeah, I'll I'll say that. Harry Miller as a junior at center, maybe Luke Whipler as a sophomore at right guard, and then Nicholas Petit-Frere as a redshirt junior at right tackle. I mean, that's not a lot of highly rated guys that's missing three starters. But again, they have these guys stacked up. So Steven, as you consider it better in 20 or better in 21? Better in 20 in 20. It has, yeah, I think Harry Miller moving over the center and Paris Johnson being the left tackle, like we'll know that for sure that those guys will be fine. But the other, that's more than half of your offensive line that you just don't know, know about. At that point, because Paris Johnson is moving over probably from right tackle to left tackle. Obviously, Nicholas Petit Frere will I, if either he wins the job as a right tackle this year or he'll be a first year starter in 2021, along with you know Matthew Jones and Luke Whipple being first year starters. It's just hard because like right now, again, we're looking at okay, well they lost two two starters, but they're replacing with higher ceiling guys. When you lose guys like Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis who have stuck around into year four when either of them could have gone pro after three years here, you know, that's, that's the ultimate. A fourth year guy who is reaching his extraordinarily high ceiling. I mean, Wyatt Davis is like the perfect college offensive lineman right now. He's a returning all American um, who's only going to get better. So like that's now you're in an area of like, okay, well, Luke Whipler has a high ceiling too, but he, he's not a veteran like Wyatt Davis. So, Sometimes I'll trade experience for a higher ceiling, but with Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers, you're getting both. So I just, I don't, I don't know how you could be as good in 2021. So I do think, and this, this relates to how we all are evaluating Ohio state in the 2020 season. It's an offensive line that is like peaking in a lot of ways, you know, that, that 
Munford could have gone pro too. They had three offensive linemen who at least could have had an NFL decision and none of them even really considered it. I mean, they just, they didn't make a big deal about it. They just were all coming back. Um, this is the exact kind of offensive line that you want from a college football playoff contender. So it just will be hard to replicate that in 2021. Nathan, biggest strength of this offensive line group. It's those two interior guys. It's Davis and Myers. I don't know who in the country is going to have a better interior than that. I think it really opens up some interesting things for the run game. Um, the, the connection that they have, especially that Myers has now with Justin Fields going into the second season together, that has, you know, that, that, that really pays off in intangible ways, I think. Um, it's just those two guys right in the middle. They give you such a foundation to build everything else on. Um, that I, that, that is the, it's kind of the nucleus of the, the line is those two guys, um, and everything else just builds off that. Steven. Yeah, it, it, it has to be that you've got two potential consensus, all Americans on your inside, but then I'm also going to throw the, the fact that you have an experienced three-year starter in Thayer Mumford, who is probably going to be healthy because he's gotten an extended amount of rest maybe, which is, I guess, good and bad, but for the most, like you've, the experience that they're bringing back with two potential for, and since it's all Americans along with a three, a third, third year starter, that's, that's the strength of this offensive line. You brought back the three biggest parts of the line from last season. So in rewatching some of this stuff, there was a play against Michigan state when the game was still kind of in, in uh, up in the air a little bit, like a third and two play. And the hole on the right side between Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis that JK Dobbins hit on third and two was just gigantic. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And that it's, that's not rare. That happened a lot last year and it's going to happen even more this year. I'm very interested in trying to name that. Like, I, like Wyatt Davis is number 52 and Josh Myers is number 51. I was trying to think of something with the numbers, like to name it like an interstate, like interstate 71 or something, you know, which actually goes right through the middle of Columbus. Wait, they're 52 but, and 51. They're 52 and 71. Oh, okay. Josh Myers is seven, is 71. So it's like Interstate 71, but that doesn't include Wyatt enough, like the Myers Davis Highway or something. I mean, it's like I just Trey Sermon and Master Teague just might live in that hole, and it's just when you can do that. Oh my gosh! I mean, it's great to have tackles and pass protection and stuff, but when you blow open holes in the middle of the line that allow your back to just pop through and go. And J.K. Dobbins was so good at it. Oh, man, that's the main thing. It's like, again, the whole running back discussion. Well, if the holes are gigantic, lots of guys are good enough to get through there. And, you know, they won't be gigantic every time. Sometimes when they're only medium-sized, you have to get through those. You have to get through the hole and then maybe take care of the linebacker yourself. But that right side of the line, I just am imagining – what that's going to be like. So yeah, I agree. That's the strength. And I'm now very interested. The, the phone lines are open. Suggest your nickname for the hole that Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis are going to be blowing open with regularity in 2020. Biggest question, Nathan, biggest question. Just what happens with right tackle. Um, does Nicholas Petit Frere emerge and claim that spot, hold off Paris Johnson, hold off whoever else and, and become who people thought he was going to be when he was coming out of high school, when he arrived here as a, such a highly rated five-star guy, you know, does he actually make the jump and bring some stability to that position, which I actually think 
in the long run could also be the best thing for Paris Johnson. If he's not forced into playing right away, if he's not ready, you know, we kind of talked about that before. Like if, if, if Paris Johnson is just better than him, then so be it. But if it's a thing where Paris Johnson has to play because Nicholas Petit Fair hasn't gotten there, I don't think that's as good for Ohio State in the long run. And this lets him, you know, develop for another year. He can play, spend time at both positions, that sort of thing. So um, that's where I still see, I still see right tackle. I still have more questions about that than left guard. I think again, between there, there's a little bit more protection there with the other guys on the line. Um, not that it can be a weak spot, but that, you know, between Munford, between Myers, you can, you're not quite as exposed maybe as you are a right tackle. Biggest question mark, Steven. Does the right tackle position become a or every time we get a depth chart? And so one week they send out Paris Johnson first, another week they send out Nicholas Petit-Frere first, and that's just how it goes all season because neither one of them is able to edge the other one out. And if that's the case, does that become the fall of the offensive line, the fact that there's no continuity between all five because, you know, it's an or every single week and fluid to who starts? I would be very surprised if they did that. Don't you think they'll just try to pick? I, I think they would like to. Yeah. But like, but like, especially with uh, offensive line. Yeah. But you know, given the situation and how things have gone and how they've lost a very important part of you know developing a football team, that might have to be the case but, for the first few weeks. But why would that? They don't have enough time in camp to figure out who's better. I Maybe just think one, that would be a bad move. I don't want, I don't want, or is it right tackle into like week five? I just, I, I mean, I know what you're saying. And sometimes they they put an or on the depth chart. Like if literally game to game, like we don't know who's coming out with the first team offensive line. Um, that's a decision by them. Right. Because you can always pick it. You're, you're the boss. You're the coach. You can pick, pick who's better. And if they're exactly tied, flip a coin, but pick somebody. So, like, I understand the idea of, like, yes, I, I agree. That's a huge question. Who's going to win it? I'm just – I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the idea of, like, rotating tackles for any length of the season because I think it would be counterproductive. But do you, th- do you think it might be the best way for them to figure it out? You get them both playing time. Not Paris hasn't played at all. Petit Fair hasn't played all that much. So continue the battle for the first month. Get, get the necessary reps. And by the time you get into the season, you've picked one. I mean, I think there's an unspoken or at that position. If if Petit Frere wins the job, there's still an unspoken or to some to me to some extent. Because if the production isn't there, if he doesn't hold up, Paris Johnson's probably getting better week by week. I mean, it's just at that stage of his career. So there's an unspoken or. If the job's not getting done there, they have this other really talented guy that they can try there. Yeah, but I mean, like, I mean, coaches would tell you there's an unspoken or at every position, right? Right, but yeah, not, yeah, which is why it makes it different if they're putting out the public, the public, you know, death chart in a minute to know, because that's spoken. That's a different situation, because obviously, yeah, you can lose your position at any time, but it's different when you see it in writing and the public is able to talk about it. I mean, when Greg Stadrawa made it sound like the right tackle battle between Brandon Bowen and Nicholas Petit-Frere last year in camp yeah. was razor thin. And then once the season started, Brandon Bowen was the starting right tackle, right? I mean, that was mm-hmm. – right. there was not debate. It was like, okay, we had a battle in camp, and one guy won, and he's tackle. The other guy's backup. So I just will be – I'll be surprised if it plays out for any length of time. I mean, of course, I'm interested to see who wins it, and I don't know who's going to win it. And I'm not going to make us declare who we said who we think is going to win it because I can't remember what I think. 
I can't remember what you guys think. Maybe it has changed, even though, has, even though there's no reason for it to change. I just think it could be either of them. I don't know. I mean, they're both five-star recruits, and who knows what's going to happen, and they haven't practiced in a while. So I have no idea who's going to win it, but my anticipation is that somebody will win it, and then that person will be the starting right tackle for the games and the other guys to back up. The interesting thing is whether they then have that right tackle be the swing tackle, that you are the backup at both spots. Because right. then once you get into practice, it actually decreases your chances. If they do that, it decreases your chances, I think, of sort of like taking over, taking back the right tackle job because now half the time you're repping at left tackle in practice. Or maybe even more than half the time. You know, because in all, all during camp you were at right tackle. Well, now we need you to be the left tackle if Thayer Munford gets hurt and he's had some injury issues. Okay, guy who lost the right tackle battle, you're taking – you're the – when we put the second team offensive line in, you're the left tackle. And then the fourth tackle is now the right tackle. You know what I mean? So like, I'll be curious how that shakes out because then if that's the case, then it's like, all right, well, you're not taking back the right tackle job. You're, you're the backup left tackle. Um, I don't know who's going to win. I don't think it's, again, it's worth pinning us down because I can't remember where anybody is, but I, I agree with that. Actually, I don't agree with that. I agree with what you guys are saying. Super interesting. I don't know what's going to happen. I think my question is Thayer Munford's health just because that will that will linger with him through his Ohio State career. He's battled through so much, and I think he's significantly better the better he feels. And I think when Thayer Munford, and I'm going to talk about him more later, I think when, later, I think when Thayer Munford feels good, he's really good. And I think when he's, his back is bothering him or he feels a little stiff and he can't move as well, then I don't think he's as good in pass protection. I don't think he slides as well. I, I think he gives up a little bit more. I think maybe he doesn't pick up blitzers, inside blitzers, or doesn't react quite as quickly because he's just not as nimble and as flexible. But I think when he's feeling it, I think he's quite, quite good. So I think him feeling good, and it's not even just about being on the field, but about being on the field at close to your max potential from a health standpoint is my kind of thing that will hang over this um, because he's so important. Crazy prediction or thought about the offensive line group. Steven, get crazy about offensive linemen. I think I've already said this. I think Wyatt Davis might end up winning a, a national award this year. I mean, he's got the necessary hype. He's, you know, probably going to be, he's going to be on plenty of preseason All American lists. And he's, I think he's the highest rated um, right guard, if I'm not mistaken by that. But he's going to be probably the first guard taken off the board in the NFL draft. So he's got plenty of hype coming into the season. And as you've already kind of fit it, Doug. Him and Josh Myers opened up holes for J.K. Dobbins that were, you know, un- otherworldly, and they're going to have to do the same thing for Master Teague or Trey Sermon or whoever. So if they're making Master Teague or Trey, Trey Sermon look amazing next year, I wouldn't be surprised if Wyatt Davis especially, you know, takes home a national award next year, with it, mainly the Allen Award or trophy, whichever it's technically called. I can't I – can't, I don't even know what the distinction is between why one – place calls it a trophy and one place calls yeah. it an award because they're still all trophies they aren't all like just like little cups with handles on the side yeah they're all technically but, trophies and they're all technically you're being awarded so it's like yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know why i don't know why they do that uh nathan what's your crazy thought you know i, I picked nicholas petit frere as my driving the bus guy for 2020 so i'm gonna say nicholas petit frere is all big 10 probably not first team all big 10 i don't know if you're gonna get because I think right now Davis and Myers are probably in the driver's seat. You'd have to have a pretty amazing season to get three guys, first team, all Big Ten. 
Um, and then obviously I think Harry Miller could maybe be in that discussion too. But um, I think I just, the Nicholas Petit Frere not only, you know, wins the job and shows some stability, but that he shows a little bit more of the ceiling this year that he um, plays with confidence and, you know, really kind of just anchors that spot and makes it a strength to the offensive line. So I don't know. Sometimes I'm always very careful about sliding into homerism because, because I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a homer. Um, but man, could you make a case that like everybody on Ohio State's offensive line is going to be first team all Big Ten? Like, I don't actually think that because Wisconsin is in this league. But you just said they're talented enough. Yeah. I mean, how I don't know how many five star recruits there are on the offensive lines in the Big Ten, but Ohio State has a bunch of them. I mean, the thing that I think prohibits that is that as you as people are filling out a ballot, there's going to be enough people who are like, I'm not going to vote for all five of these guys. No, I, and I, I, I agree with that. I agree. I, yes, that again, as we've said before, um, making the team does not necessarily mean you are the best person, right? So it's like you could say, I think the five best offensive linemen in the Big Ten will be Ohio State's five starting offensive linemen. Does that mean that they're all going to be named all Big Ten? No, because as you said, some, some people might step short of, of doing that. So, my my official answer is Harry Miller's first team all Big Ten is my crazy prediction. Because I think I might lean more toward Harry Miller than whomever is the right tackle. Because I just think his ceiling is so high and he's a year older than Paris Johnson. And he Nicholas Petit Frere had his chance to win a job and didn't. Harry Miller, I think, is gonna win it the first time he really has a chance to do it. So you look at the all big 10 offensive line from last year. I think everybody's gone. Um, They all went to the NFL draft. So none of the first team guys are back. Um, The second team guy, like I said, it's one of those things like Cesar Ruiz from Michigan was a first round draft pick. He was second team all big 10 last year. Right. So it's like, again, it's not an exact, it's not an exact, you know, perfect. These are the best guys. But I think the idea that the three first-team interior offensive linemen for the Big Ten are the three Ohio State interior offensive linemen, that's my crazy prediction because I'm sort of expecting it from Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers that they'll be first-team all Big Ten. And I think Harry Miller could just be like, wow, that guy is really good too. And there's nobody else jumping up to be like, okay, it's got to be that guy. I know like a tackle um, there's this Slater guy from Northwestern that people seem to like. So maybe he would be a guy that, you know, would, would be competition on the outside for the, for the tackle spots. But, hey, look, Watt Fillior was second team all Big Ten last year. I really got to understand football better. Um, so that's my prediction. Harry Miller joining Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis on the first team all Big Ten at the end of the season. That's my crazy prediction. Guy we most want to see play. Nathan, who are you really super excited to see play on this offensive line. This is a different way of answering the question you answered before, but I said Thayer Munford. I want to see, because all I saw was him last season, and he was clearly at times really compromised, and it was something that bothered him throughout the season, as I think you wrote about. So um, I want to see if he can come in from day one healthy, and then if that's true, then what does a healthy Thayer Munford look like? Does that elevate that position? Because kind of the opposite of what I was saying before, I suppose, if he does struggle – 
as good as Harry Miller could be, he's also a first-time starter. Um, so th- does that open you? Does it make you more vulnerable on that left side? Was there times last year where maybe Jackson could bail him out where that won't be the case this year? I don't know. So I just want to talk about Thayer Munford a little bit because I wasn't sure where I was going to work this in. Um, Nebraska's Rivals site did a breakdown this offseason. They ranked Thayer Munford as the second-best tackle in the Big Ten, second-best returning tackle. They said he was a second-team All-Big Ten pick with a 77.2 grade, according to PFF last year, which ranks as the second-best returning tackle behind that Slater guy from Northwestern. He allowed five sacks, 14 hurries, and one QB hit in 2019. His run block rate of 78.4 also ranks second for returning tackles in the Big Ten. So he's basically like, he's a great run blocker. Five sacks for a left tackle, and I want to get in. I think this is a place to have a little bit of it with the offensive line, a little bit of a Justin Fields sack discussion. Five sacks is not that bad for a left tackle. And in rewatching Michigan State and Clemson, I just saw Thayer Munford blocking people. He bowls people over in the run game. He does not lose one-on-one battles in pass protection when he's feeling good. And every now and then, right, I mean, there's a blitzer comes free or whatever, but, like, he seems to almost always do the right thing. And if there's a guy in front of him, he almost always blocks him. When he's dealing with a speed edge rusher, he'll push that guy wide. He does not get beat. He pushes him behind Justin Fields and keeps a clean pocket. This Ohio State offensive line, again, like last year, really just kept a pretty clean pocket for Justin Fields much of the time. And sometimes he held onto the ball. Sometimes he's trying to make plays. But it's not like they're getting him blown up constantly. I think sometimes the communication, free blitzers and that kind of stuff, that, that's an issue for all offensive lines at times. But I just think – I was just watching I thinking, like, Thayer Munford is really good at his job. So I am all in on your choice, Nathan. Um, of, of wanting to see a healthy Thayer Munford because uh, I, I, and I think I misremembered this a couple years ago or a couple podcasts ago, but talking about who have been their starting left tackles. Jack Muhort did it for two years. Taylor Decker did it for two years. Jamarco Jones did it for two years. Now Thayer Munford's coming in on three years. It is not easy to be Ohio State starting left tackle for three years. This guy's had a great career and just for him to go out healthy would be great for him. And it would be great for this offensive line. I don't. I just think he could, if he's healthy, could end up being like a really solid, like fourth round pick who has a very solid NFL career, and just does his job most of the time. Steven, who's the guy you really want to see? Harry Miller for all there for but Harry Miller just because of what we talked about and what we expect from five stars where they go from being the backup to being a guy who's either a starter or at least having an impact and he's clearly on that route right now or last year he was the backup center and he'll still be the backup center this year they'll just slide him over if you know, Josh if something happens with Josh Myers but a second year five star who got some who got some extended experience because some games got out of hand and they were able to get in there maybe more than you know, most backup you know centers would be able to get get into a game. So just see if he's if that if he's able to take that step forward now that he's probably going to be starting left guard and you know, provide some of the same level of impact that Wyatt Davis did last year on the right side for the left side of the offensive line. Another good answer. Total, I'm in total agreement with that. I'm super curious to see Harry Miller. My answer is Paris Johnson because I'm curious if he is the closest thing to the second coming of Orlando Pace that we'll see at Ohio State. And so 
if he's, if he's going to be that, that he's got to win the right tackle job as a true freshman. Um, again, I, I think he's going to be good. It's like what level of good, what are the layers to the goodness? But what if, what if this guy is just once in a generation offensive line prospect? Uh, you know, I, I think that's possible. And so I'm curious to see if it's going to happen. So I will be, we're all going to be watching that right tackle job uh, with a lot of interest. Um, I think it's interesting either way, but I think the most interesting outcome is Nicholas Petit Frere played well, but we could not keep Paris Johnson off the field. We're going to try to do something. We're going to try to keep, you know, NPF involved because he deserves that. We cannot keep Paris Johnson off the field. This guy demands to play. That to me is the most interesting outcome of that. All right, last category, confidence level for this season. And I want to cite um, a rating from Pro Football Focus in January, did this right after the season ended. And they did an early look at offensive lines and they ranked all 130 college football offensive lines coming into the 2020 season. And I'm going to run through them real quick. 130, Georgia Tech. 129, Florida State. 128, Vanderbilt. 127, Akron. It's like, how far would I, how many would I read for the joke, right? You guys are like, how far will he put? <laughs> I honestly think you should have read them all. 68, Wake Forest. Now I'm just going to drop in random ones. 46, Arizona. So anyway, Ohio State's fourth. Ohio State was fourth on that list behind only Oregon, Georgia, and Alabama. And here's what the little paragraph from our friend Cam Mellor, who had been, uh, has been on this podcast previously. He wrote this in January. Ohio State's offensive line really helped set the tone for Ohio State's success in 2019, keeping quarterback Justin Fields clean on 67.4% of his dropbacks and allowing pressure 3.11 seconds after the snap on average the latter figure ranking eighth best in the country. So that is a way, that's a figure that matters, right? Mm -hmm. Sacks are a big, great big stat that factors in a million different things. How long did you give your quarterback before somebody got in his face? That's just a fact. So they were eighth best in the country in giving their guy time, which tells you that if Justin Fields took a lot of sacks or you think that Ohio State gave up too many sacks, it certainly wasn't because he didn't have any time. He did have time. So before we get to the final, what is your confidence level for this group? Nathan, the sack discussion for Ohio State. Again, we're talking about the offensive line. But do, do you think the sacks reflect in poorly in any way on this offensive line? And do you think it, it will be any issue for this offensive line in 2020? Or if there are sacks, will they not be an issue? Will they be more of a quarterback issue? Or will there just be no sacks and they'll just block everybody? <laughs> <laughs> or Vanderbilt is number 89. Or they outlaw the forward pass. Um, right. Justin Fields, they run wing T. Justin Fields rushes 40 <laughs> times a game and has yeah. zero sacks. Um, I mean, both. I mean, they'll, they'll have some, yeah, both, both kinds of sacks will happen. I guess I, 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 th I look at sacks as a tandem stat. It's not just the offensive line. Obviously, if you have an offensive lineman who gives up 
a, a slew of sacks, that's a problem. You can do you can look at that relative to the number of snaps he played. You can decide that that was a problem. But for a team, I, I think it is usually it, it's not that easy. It's not that black and white. And I think that's a problem that has to be solved on both ends. And I think Justin Fields is the first person to say that. I think he last year on a, a couple of occasions talked about. Um, making the right decision, getting rid of the ball. Certainly Ryan Day talked about it, you know, getting rid of the ball in some areas where he took a couple sacks. So um, that I think is just going to be one of the evolutions of, of Justin Fields or it won't. Um, I think it's one of the steps he needs to take as he goes from his first year as a full-time starter into his second year. Um, th- th- does he make some better decisions, some better reads, have a little bit better awareness? I don't know if it was a big weakness of his. I mean, obviously he was still a Heisman Trophy finalist for a reason, but it's something he can clean up. And I think, again, this offensive line will take a step forward. So I would expect them to be better overall protecting the quarterback, but I don't, again, necessarily look at that sack number as being more indicative on one or the other who's doing a bad job. Ohio State last year surrendered 35 sacks that tied for 108th worst in the nation. Uh, Akron led the nation giving up 58, but they were tied with several other teams giving up 35. So again, so 130 teams, they're tied for 108th. Army, or no, excuse me, Air Force gave up the fewest sacks last year with four. Buffalo only gave up eight, but Alabama. Well, but the difference between Ohio State and Air Force's offense is a big reason for that. Again, that's, that's why the raw data is. Yeah. I know. That's the point. But Alabama also only gave up 12. So it's like, again, you can't only look at the raw data. I guess I even quibble with the idea of the idea of uh, Stephen, Nathan, you said it's something that needs to be cleaned up. I would even debate that. I think think they could have 35 sacks again that they get. They could give up 35 sacks again, rank 117th in the nation and win the national title. Yeah, especially when you you put it in context of you have a quarterback who sometimes can hold on to the ball longer just so he can try to make a play. I think – Giving up 35 sacks when that's your type of quarterback and they're going to be dropping back as much as they do, I agree with you, Doug. I don't think that's a problem. That that, that needs to be cleaned up. Right, but again, raw number, they probably will. They may give up more sacks because I think there may be more more attempts to get sacked than there were in 2019. Um, I think it's more about the the sack rate. I think it's more about those other more refined numbers, the pressures you allow, those sorts of things. That's what needs to be really firing. Ohio State gave up 23 sacks in 2018, uh, 37th in the nation. So um, on a team that threw the ball a whole lot more than they did last year. Right. But I think Dwayne, Dwayne threw was a lot of more boom, boom, boom in the rhythm of the of the game and just like got rid of it um, and didn't allow himself to take it. It's almost one of those things. Right. Is it that you take sacks because you aren't you can't run? Or do you take sacks because you can run? Dwayne Haskins knew he probably wasn't going to escape many people, so his best bet was to get it out of his hands. Mm-hmm. Justin Fields thinks he can escape the whole world. So he's not worried about getting it out of his hands, which means because he's maneuverable, he actually takes more sacks. And then the question is, is that bad? Is it bad? So now I am committed. I will go through and look at all 35 sacks from last year and evaluate why they happened and whether they were bad. And I have a project for July. Okay. Rating our confidence level in the Ohio State offensive line for the 2020 season on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 is bad. 10 is good. Stephen, we'll start with you. 9. I don't have much worries about many worries about this offensive line. Nathan? I had the same grade. I think I'm a 10. Yeah. 
Our biggest worry is, is one five-star going to win a job or is another five-star going to win a job? I think every single college pro- football program in the country would love to have that problem. Nobody brings back all five offensive linemen. No. So you're always replacing somebody. So it's like, all right, well, they have more than half their starters back. All their starters are really good. And they have three five stars for the other two spots. So I just I don't I don't know what more it could be unless you had I mean, you know, again, unless you're like returning five starters who were all all Big Ten guys the year before. So I just I just think it's an almost as good of a situation as they could be in. And as you evaluate the totality of this Ohio State team, and we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, everything we think about Ohio State football, this is this is near the top of the list of why you think this team's a national title contender. This line with this quarterback makes up for a lot, for a lot. And I'm not so sure, Nathan, if you could say in this modern day and age of college football, and as we're doing this position group breakdowns, if you could say, Pick two positions to be awesome at. And we'll say position group. So we'll make receivers a group, running backs a group, offensive line a group, defensive line, linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties, quarterbacks, whatever. Pick two groups where you're awesome. What would be the two groups at the top of your list? Uh, well, at the top of my list, it'd probably be quarterback and defensive line. But then I think offensive line would be third. Steven, would you agree with that? I'd flip offensive line and defensive line, but yeah. You'd have offensive. So your two would be quarterback and offensive line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like two sides of the same coin, right? You got to get after the passer. You got to protect the passer. Yeah. Um, But it's up there, right? I think I agree. They're two of the top three and they're awesome in those two. And so, you know, if you got that locked down, you can, you can make up for a lot of other stuff. And so here we are thinking that they're, they're, in about as good of a situation as you can be uh, for an offensive line. All right. Thanks for joining us for another position group breakdown. Oh, you know what? Let me – actually, I'm going to do this. I am going to do this, even though it's like uh, I would have been better off having a better plan. I seriously have been saving these podcast questions for the offensive line podcast forever um, because they're from May, and I thought they were both really good. And I'm going to jam them in at the end because our tech subscribers deserve that. If you want me to forget about your questions and then jam them in at the end, 614-350, what is it? No, I, I can't remember the number now. Nathan, what is it? 614-350-3315? Correct. Can you cut that out? We'll just make it sound like I remember the number. Yeah. Okay, thanks. 614-350-3315. And this is a question from the 937. This is old. This is my first time sending in questions for the pod, so here we go. Do you guys believe the offensive line this year will be better than last year? I personally think they will be because of the combination of experience and talent. I think Jonah Jackson was underappreciated and is a big loss, but I do believe Harry Miller has an incredibly bright future. Following up that question, do you guys think it's possible the front five sweep the offensive line awards at the end of the year? Wyatt Davis will presumably be the preseason favorite to win the Outland. Josh Myers should be a preseason contender for the Remington. And going off the faith I have in this unit, I think winning the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line overall is a real possibility. If Paris Johnson wins the job at right tackle, what do you think the odds of NPF transferring out are? Does he stay another year knowing Thayer is gone after this year and he'll start opposite Paris in 21, or does he look to go somewhere else now? So those are all questions from the 937, and I've saved them forever. I feel like we've talked about the first two, because, Stephen, you even went down the road on the Outland Trophy stuff. 
if they're as good as we're saying right now, I think they, and if Ohio state has a great season, they will win the Joe Moore award, which LSU won last year. I mean, great teams win it. We don't love, we don't love to talk about transfer stuff, but this is very specific and it's not a knock on the guy. Nathan, the idea of if you were Nicholas Petit Frere and in your third year, you didn't quite win a job in year two, you don't quite win a job in year three, you lose out to a true freshman, what would you do? Well, it's an interesting question because that true freshman is headed to left tackle next season, we presume. So, so the job is there for you. The job yeah. is still right? there for you. Yeah, I mean, uh, and he'll be the sixth guy. So, yeah, I, I guess, I you you, I guess it just it it's going to depend maybe on the relationships you have at that point, right? We we always make this about playing time, but. Uh, uh, as Al Washington said to us, the one day we got to talk to coaches this spring, um, you know, the problems that you have here getting on the field are going to follow you when you transfer. Usually, like usually there's a reason and it's not always just because the guy in front of you is amazing. So if it's, it's really more about where he, I guess, trying to get some gauge on his development at that point, I, I don't like speculating on this stuff either because I just think for, for all the reasons you said, but I, I wouldn't, assume right away that that means that he leaves because again there is an open door to to that spot and even this season um if Paris Johnson would win that job from day one again another thing we don't like to talk about but Thayer Mumford does have an injury history so there, there's going to be opportunity we saw it last year with a lobby we saw it even last year with Petit Fair did get on the field so there's there's always going to be that opportunity that if you stick it out that 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 it, it opens up I mean Brandon Bowen is the example of that I thought you were going to make it, Nathan. I thought you were going to make it through this podcast without mispronouncing Josh Allaby's last name. <laughs> yeah, do it. <laughs> Since he's gone, there was no reason for you to have to say it. But for old time's sake, <laughs> you dropped it in. I almost thought you were talking about Chris Olave for a second. Because you said Olave. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. We don't I don't have ever to have to it. say it again. You don't have to say it again. I'd stay. If I'm MPF, I'd stay. And I think the idea of like, listen, man. You're good. There just are other good guys here. You almost made it in year two. You almost made it in year three. Stick. Be a starter in year four and year five. Forget what your recruiting ranking was, because once you get here, recruiting rankings don't matter. Do you want to be a two-year starter at Ohio State in year four and year five at right tackle? Because as you said, Nathan, Paris is sliding over. You know us. We've helped you. You've helped us. You're an important part of this team. Don't get down on yourself. Stay. Do you think – would you stay, Nathan, or would you consider – I mean, Stephen, your turn. Would you consider it or would you stay? I'd, I'd stay at this point because you're right. The guy you lost to is going to move over to the other side, so you're going to be a starter in 2021 and 2022 anyway. So let's lead – this leads into this other fantastic question. This one's from the 216 that I've been saving forever because I knew we were going to do an offensive line podcast, and then I almost forgot it, but I didn't. From the 216, Wyatt Davis was a five-star recruit, and in his second year, he lost a battle with a fifth-year senior who went undrafted. In his third year, it's Demetrius Knox. In his third year, he was a first-team All-American and arguably the best guard in college football. Petit Frere was also a five-star who lost a battle in his second year with a fifth-year senior. Could we see a rise from Nicholas Petit Frere this year similar to Wyatt Davis's rise last year? Ooh, do I love a smart comparison from the 216. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but you, what everybody in life, you look at your personal situation and you try to find other situations around you that might inspire you. If I were Nicholas Petit Frere, I would look at Wyatt Davis and say, listen, man, I got time. 
I'm going to go out and win this job right now and look what Wyatt Davis did once he won it. Nathan, do you think there are parts of this comparison that potentially hold up? Potentially. I, I Again, I, I – They didn't sorry. storm onto the field in year two, right? right. They were five-star guys. Yeah. Pete Frere was like the number seven player in the country. I think Wyatt was the number 24 player in the country. Five-star dudes, elite, 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 did not – and again, all offensive linemen, first year, nobody expects it. But they did not storm onto the field in year two. When they needed Wyatt Davis at the end of year two, when there was an injury issue with Demetrius Knox, he was ready. He didn't storm onto the field and seize the job right away. But he was ready at the end of year two, and then in year three, boom. I don't think it's impossible with NPF this year. I don't think – and you just said you've been driving his bus slash train slash scooter. You said – if, if he has the season that is your crazy prediction, which is an all-Big Ten season, then all of a sudden this comparison to what Wyatt Davis did from year two to year three is very apt. Because no, none of us were here when, when, this, in 20, when 2018 started. And Wyatt, obviously, I was there at the end of the year, but not the beginning of the year. Was Wyatt Davis in a, position, a starting position battle the way that Nick, Nicholas petit Frere was last season? It wasn't I, – I don't remember it as being um, as specific and as, like, heated and, like, Okay, who's going to win it? Who's going to win it? Okay. I do remember thinking, just having a feeling that, like, hey, Wyatt Davis was, like, a big five-star recruit and kind of hasn't mm-hmm. done much yet. Like, he's fine. But, like, he wasn't – it wasn't – and I might be remembering it wrong. Okay. But, like, year two Wyatt Davis, it wasn't like everybody was, like, on the edge of their seat being like, oh, my God, this guy's ready to be an All-American. It's like he was a backup in year mm-hmm. two. And then when there was an injury at the end of the year, he played pretty well. And then all of a sudden in year three, he was awesome. Not all of a sudden. Okay. But, but, yeah. I mean, he could have won it though. If he, okay. you know, Demetrius Knox it, was fine. He could, yeah. It's that, but it's also to the point of yes, Demetrius Knox got injured and Wyatt Davis stepped right in. When Brandon Bowen went down, Nicholas Petit Frere wasn't the next option. And that's, that's a good the, point. And the thing, the reason why I said, you know, possibly is that, and I, you have the perspective on this that I don't, but what gave us some pause to, to bring back our favorite expression with Nicholas Petit Frere last year was that it didn't seem like necessarily we, – we, 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 as the season played out, we questioned how close that battle really was, right? Because he, it didn't seem like he jumped right in even on the second opportunity on that offensive line. So I, that's what gave me some pause. I agree. I think you guys both mm-hmm. make – I think you both make a good point. It was later in the year because Knox got hurt – against Michigan and Wyatt Davis ended up starting in the big 10 championship game at the, at the end of 2018 mm-hmm. NPF. They were asking him to do that more in the, in the middle of the year last year. Right. Was that right? What was the game that he, that they ended up starting Alabama yeah, Northwestern. because, uh, because there was an injury. So yes. So, but I do, I, I do think in the end, as much as I like the question and I got, I love comparisons I think I agree with both of you that there's the idea of there's maybe a less, a little less reason for high level optimism with NPF just because when he kind of did have a crack, he didn't exactly storm through that door. Whereas when Wyatt Davis had the crack in year two, he showed it. He showed it. Um, All right. Good questions. Good answers. We appreciate you guys being part of it. Continue to uh, listen to our position group breakdowns as we work our way through the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, but for now, thanks so much for listening. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. Read our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. For now, for Nathan and Stephen, I'm Doug. And that.
was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>